I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome to the show. I'm Rose Ludwig, the Executive Director for Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. I'm with Deborah Hackworth today. We're filling in for Claudia. We wanted to talk today about personal protection orders, and we have some frequently asked questions and concerns about obtaining a personal protection order. We have with us today Regina Dittmer, who is our expert in the area of personal protection orders. But first, we wanted to talk a little bit about some statistics that we know. According to DomesticShelters.org, many survivors of domestic violence are still under the impression that the order of protection or restraining order carries no more weight than the paper it's printed on. In other words, they're doubtful the restraining order has an ability to protect them. But it's important to remember that even if you have a protection order, it does not guarantee your safety. Research has shown that more than two-thirds of orders against intimate partners were violated where there was a 21% chance of an escalation in violent behavior after the order is issued. You should have a safety plan in place. So some of the things that you could keep in mind are, number one, to stop all contact with your abuser. Responding to the person's actions could reinforce or encourage his or her behavior. Keep any evidence of stalking, such as voicemails, texts, or emails for future court cases. Always keep a cell phone with you and don't hesitate to call 911 if you feel that you're in danger. Have a safe place to go in an emergency such as a police station, a public area, or the home of a friend or family member that is unknown to your harasser. If you feel like someone is following you, it's not a good idea to go home. Let your coworkers, friends, neighbors, and apartment building personnel know about your situation. Give them as much information as you can about the person who is harassing you, including a photograph of him or her and a description of their vehicle. Ask them to call the police if they see this person at your home or your place of work. Try not to go places alone. Ask someone to walk you to your car, vary your routes to places that you regularly visit, and get an exercise buddy to go with you if you walk or jog outside. Report all incidents and threats to the police as soon as they occur. Keep a log of everything that's happened, including the name of the officer in charge of the case and the crime reference number if there is one. This can all be useful for future court dates. Okay, so I guess the first question to ask is, what exactly is a personal protection order? Personal protection order is used to protect your person. Um, so they're not they're not used to um, evict someone or... Um, guard your property, you know, they, they're for your person if someone is harming you or threatening to harm you. Okay, so um, 
Are there different kind of personal protection orders or is it just a blanket personal protection order that someone can get? While there are different things that you can ask for on a personal protection order, so there are domestic um, protection orders, which are for domestic um, relationships, um, which would be intimate partner, married, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, sister, brother, anything like that. Um, and then there are non-domestic personal protection orders, and those are for, like, neighbor disputes, um, things of that nature. Um, and then, of course, there are a couple other ones, um, like if you're trying to get a protection order on a, a juvenile, um, most of the time those are juvenile against juvenile, you know, um, being bullied at school that's gotten out of hand and no other way to take care of it. We don't get a whole lot of those, though. So, Okay, so if I needed a personal protection order, how would I go about obtaining one? Well, um, you could contact DASIS, or you could go to the courthouse. You go to circuit court. Personal protection orders are uh, circuit court issues. So you would go to the clerk's office and just tell them, um, I work at the courthouse. So they normally will call me. Um, also, there's another employee there uh, that's a, a county employee. And, mm -hmm. um, of course, she could help you if I'm not available. Okay, so you were talking about there's a lot of different things that you can ask for mm -hmm. your personal protection order to cover. Can you um, kind of elaborate on what some of those things are? Sure. Um, I mean, you when you come in to fill out, um, apply for a personal protection order, you fill out what what is called a petition. So you're petitioning the court for these items, for these things um, to be granted for you. So... Um, I wish I would have brought one with me. Um, like the the very first thing is entering onto your property. Um, if you don't want this person coming to your home, there's stalking. Um, there's a whole section. There's several different boxes you can check for that. Contacting you by telephone, um, email. I mean, pretty much anything. It can cover children a little bit if a custody order has been established. Um, if there's no true custody, then you can't really, I mean, you can't ask for that because you can't ask to keep a child away from a parent that has, you know, rights to that child. So that, that's always a big question um, when we have people come in, especially women, you know, can I keep my child from him? No, you cannot. If there's a parenting time order then you can't, you know, you still have to follow the other laws. But there's a section for pets, which mm -hmm. I think is great. That was just added a few years ago. Um, so they can't cause you mental distress by stealing your pet, harming your pet, threatening your pet, because, you know, as everybody knows, a lot of people, their pets are their children. So, mm -hmm. um, and I've actually had a PPO um, and that's what it was granted on the basis that uh, this person threatened to kill a pet. <laughs> so, and it was granted. Okay, so I come in and I'm um, with you. Mm -hmm. 
I need the PPO and I, um, I'm filling out the petition. Um, should I only ask for things that I think may happen or should I ask for everything and hope maybe that some things will be granted? And what's usually granted under a PPO? Well, to be honest with you, and this is something that I tell um, clients when I meet with them, um, it's ultimately up to the judge. Mm -hmm. um, so there, you know, say there's 20 boxes that you can mark um, and you've only marked five, the judge very well could mark all 20. So I always, you know, as kind of a warning, if the judge feels that you need more protection than you're asking for, he will grant that. So um, that's just kind of in my my little spiel that I give to people, you know, the judge can grant more than you asked for. He can grant all of what you asked for. Or he could grant, you know, less than what you asked for. It just depends on the situation and the judge, but ultimately it's up to them. But my, I mean, I don't, I just try and explain each question mm -hmm. to people um, or each, you know, each part of it, of the, petition so they understand what it means some of the questions can be confusing and then let them decide because of course we don't want to make any decisions for them and then um, that could cause issues further down the road like some people's I always make sure to to tell them these are not things that they've done to you they may or may not have done them but these are things that we don't want them to do and also um a a couple of the things on personal protection orders are illegal anyways, like assaulting, attacking, beating, molesting someone. Those are all illegal anyways, but a personal protection order, if that is ordered on the on the order, um, granted by the judge, makes them a felony. And um, mm -hmm. domestic violence is now a misdemeanor. So uh, PPO can make the crimes that they commit um, harsher sentenced. Okay, so how do I tell my story? How do I convince the judge that this is what's needed? Do I just, you know, mark these things and this is what I need? What's the process of me being able to tell my story as to why I need this? Well, one th one thing is the, the great um, thing about my job is I get to advocate with these clients. Um, if you go to the courthouse and you're not meeting with me, then you're just going to be handed a PPO packet and kind of fill it out on your own and see what happens. So I get to sit with people and listen to their story. I get to offer them services through DASIS and help them through the process. Filling out PPOs on somebody that you love, you just don't want to be harmed by anymore, is a difficult process. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I mean, I think that my position is very important because I think a lot of people wouldn't get that protection or go any further and get DASIS services if they didn't come to the courthouse, you know, looking for help. So part of our personal protection order, and all counties usually have um, different ways of doing them, um, is an affidavit. What that is is just you write your story to the judge. And I always remind people, the judge isn't going to see or speak to me. He's not going to see or speak to you. Um, all of our personal protection orders are done ex parte. So that means that they are done immediately with no hearing. Um, so the judge goes by 
whatever is in the whatever you've written in the PPO to understand your situation and and that's how they get granted. So I always make sure, you know, a lot of people don't want to put you know, their whole life story in there and, you know, the 20 years of abuse they've dealt with, but a little bit of history and then what's, you know, what brought them there and then finish it up by asking the judge whatever you want to ask them. So your um, position there in the courthouse seems to be a little bit more detailed than just the average government employee. What makes you different from the person who would um, just hand me a packet to fill out. What makes your um, position more of an advocacy position? Are you a government agent or <laughs> who do you work for? <laughs> well, sometimes that gets quite confusing, but um, I do work for domestic and sexual abuse services. And so being that I work for them, I have, you know, training on trauma, the dynamics of domestic violence, sexual assault, um, and what that does to a person. So I can sit with them and understand more about what they're going through. This isn't just paperwork to them. This is their life. They, you know, and they're asking for help. And of course, personal protection orders are temporary. And I always remind, um, my clients that they are temporary they you know this is just a first step in you guys getting help and having a healthy relationship although a lot of times um this is the end so my i mean i get to sit with them like i said um the the government the county officials they're not allowed to do that they don't have time to do that most of them have other jobs to do you know the clerks at the circuit court window they have a lot of work to do so they literally will just hand you a packet um and also the personal protection coordinator for the county she also works for probate so she too is is busy um and just explains the paperwork and and that's it so i get to sit with them. I just wanted to mention Regina that it's very um, we're lucky in this county to be able to have someone like you that's working directly in the courthouse but somebody that's listening today may not necessarily be from this service area so they may find themselves in a situation where they don't have an advocate like yourself in the courthouse. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to put out there that there is a national domestic violence hotline that you can call that if you are listening from another state or another region and you're seeking a personal protection order, you can call the domestic violence hotline at 1-800-799-7233 and they would be able to direct you to a local agency in your service area that could help you access a personal protection order um, in the event that there's not someone in your local courthouse like Regina that can help you. So I just wanted to put that out there. So what happens after the judge signs my PPO? So your personal protection order is picked up then again at circuit court. Um, it's There's a section of it that is for you to keep. And then there's a section that needs to be served to what they call the respondent, which is the person that you're getting the protection order on. Um, it, and it's your responsibility to do that. So our county has a list of process servers. 
A um, couple of them are retired police officers. A couple of them are still police officers. Um, and they do that as like a side job. And then they, they can serve those. You can also have your friend or family member do it for you if it's someone you trust that's not going to, you know, cause another big issue. And the, But they would re- be required to take the proof of service back to the courthouse and sign it. So then what happens with the PPO? Anything that the judge has granted... Um, that the person does after the PPO has been served is a violation and it needs to be turned into the police. One thing, like I always say to my clients is doesn't matter, you know, if they're sending you text, it doesn't have to be threatening text. It doesn't have to be, you know, nasty messages. If it's unwanted contact and you've asked the judge to stop that contact and he ordered that it stops, then it's a violation and it's something that needs to be turned into the police. Okay, so can I s- serve the order myself? No. No? <laughs> it, no. <laughs> it has to be personally served, but um, it has to be served by someone else. It kind of defeats the purpose. If you're If you're afraid of this person and need a personal protection order, you probably shouldn't be handing them paperwork that says stay away from me because you're going <laughs> to probably anger them a little bit. <laughs> okay, so if... The person has been um, avoiding being served, Mm -hmm. but they show up and I call the police. What happens then? Well, the police are allowed to um, what they call orally serve them. Mm -hmm. um, And then they fill out a form and turn it into the courthouse saying that they served this person orally. So then... They've told them they are notified that they have a protection order against them. It's then kind of their responsibility to find out what's in that protection order and what they are and are not allowed to do. Um, We have that happen quite often because people know they're coming. So then they'll dodge service and then they have to be served by orally served by a police officer. Now, a personal protection order is valid. Um, as soon as the judge signs it, it gets sent to lien. And um, the only difference is it's not an arrestable offense if you call the police. Um, you can't really arrest somebody for something that they did that they don't know they're not allowed to do. How do I then, after it's been served and this person knows what they're allowed and not allowed to do, how do I then turn in do I turn it into the court do I turn it into the prosecutor's office or the police how do I let someone know that this person is violating their personal the personal protection order that I have against them um you would contact the police uh obviously if they're like you know trying to come into your home if they're harming you or trying to harm you chasing you um anything like that you're going to want to call 911 if it's, you know, if you're getting emails, text messages, Facebook, whatever, um, contact the police, but I wouldn't necessarily call 911. Um, and then it is ultimately up to the police what they do from there. They could say, you know, they could talk to the person, tell them to stop. Next time they'll be arrested, like whatever the police want to Um, do about that but I still suggest that you save all of that because it's still 
you know, it, it piles up and, and we've had that happen before. Nothing really happened to the person until they did it three or four times. And then they were like, okay, he's not going to stop and then arrested. And, and then they go through the court process. So what I hear you saying is, although the personal protection order is a civil order, it's not, um, it has criminal consequences if the person then violates the yes, order. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I get a PPL and it's granted, but then I changed my mind. Maybe I felt like I was doing this in haste or... Um, or the person has made amends, and what happens then? We there is a form um, that I fill out quite frequently: <laughs> uh, motion to terminate, ex- or excuse me, motion to extend, modify, or terminate a PPO. Like I said before, PPOs can be temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually only good for a year. They can be, um, they can be granted for longer than that, but usually a year. And we do have a lot of people that come in, you know, a week, a month later, and it's like, you know, he's getting help, she's she's better now, things of, you know, counseling, all kinds of different reasons. Um, and, of course, we know one of the main reasons is because uh, domestic violence, they a lot of times go back. Um, and sometimes they're just not ready, you know, or it's done you know out of fear there was a really bad situation incident at their home and um they were scared for a minute and then life goes back to normal and they don't need that anymore or they need their husband or um, boyfriend to keep the kids while they work or they need that income you know so yeah they terminate them they fill out the paperwork usually that is a hearing um, mm-hmm. that's asked for and then it's ultimately the judge's decision so there are cases where if I feel like I don't need this anymore the judge can say I think it would be in your best interest to, to keep, keep it yes and then the um, personal protection order is still in place yes which usually ends up um, turning into a violation situation because mm-hmm. they'll have the person back at their home or be in contact with them and they'll they'll get caught. Can I violate my own personal protection order? Well, you can't get in trouble for violating your own personal protection order. So I guess the answer would be no. But if you are back with this person, you're not going to want them to be arrested or get in any tr- kind of trouble for being with you. So you you really should get that taken care of. Okay, one thing I've learned um, throughout the work that we do is if someone is arrested on a domestic um, situation, if they're being charged with domestic assault, when they're arraigned, they are let go on, um, they have... Um, bond, bond conditions that says that they cannot contact their victim. Is it important to get a personal protection order if there are bond conditions that are in place? I believe it's important. Uh, bond conditions will only last as long as the case lasts. Mm-hmm. So um, once the person has been 
went through their, you know, the court proceedings and has been sentenced on that domestic violence, that bond, those bond conditions are gone. So if you still need, I mean, obviously, if you want to keep protection from them, then you would need to get a personal protection order. They cover more also, like the pets and the keeping them from following you or stalking Mm -hmm. you those kind of things are not in a no contact order okay so at the beginning of um, our podcast we did talk about safety Mm -hmm. um, tips for staying safe even with a personal protection order do you have anything that you'd like to add to those safety tips Um, the only thing that is not on the safety uh, planning guide that I go over with people is like a code word. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important to have with, you know, someone close to you. Um, if you can text somebody, you know, blue, and they know that there's a situation going on, they can get you help while you kind of keep this person at bay or, you know, how, if you think about it, how many people are going to be able to get to the phone and call 911 in the middle of, you know, being beat up or, or a similar situation. So I think, you know, something like that is important. Okay. Well, thank you, Regina. Thank you for your information about personal protection orders. Um, Again, if you do not live in the Southwest Michigan area where we're located and where we cover, and there's not a personal protection advocate in the courthouse where you live, please call the national hotline and um, find out where you can receive help. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.